Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Human Performance Outliers podcast. In case you haven't noticed, we are now up on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash HPO podcast. You can also just click on the link in the podcast notes and it'll take you right to our page. For the listeners that have already joined us, thank you so much. Your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, We have some pretty cool goodies that we're rolling out for the Patreon supporters, including a front-of-the-line Q&A, some early podcast release options, as well as the chance to even join the show. So please consider checking out that page if you haven't yet. Also, if you do listen to us on a podcast hosting site, if you have the option, please consider subscribing. By subscribing, you'll get the most up-to-date episode as soon as it's released. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. All right. So, Angie, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I know this is a, you know, this is an interesting topic, you know, and when, and uh, we can talk about a lot of things. But I know one of the things you wanted you shared was that you had an autistic uh, child, and you've seen some pretty significant uh, improvements since changing a diet. And I think that's, a, I think there's a lot of people that are going to find interest in that. And I don't know if you know, I have an autistic child as well, and uh, so that's very interesting to me as well, certainly. But uh, where are you? Where are you at right now? I've got an I got an accent that you're not from the Northeast. Oh, I'm in Texas now, but I was born in Alabama, so you're probably hearing that little country accent. Yeah, I was gonna so, say. I was gonna guess pr- that. Be yeah. proud of what you are now, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I lived in Texas for a long time, and I recognize yeah. that. I was gonna guess Texas, but I didn't want to go out too far on a limb. But yeah. what part of Texas? No, I like it. We've been here. We're in Austin for about a year now, and um, it's really great because people are more health conscious here which is good. I mean, you still got a variety of people, but people are trying here. They don't really have the tools and don't really know where to start, but they want to start. Well, I mean, the nice, not closed-minded. Yeah, the nice thing about Austin, they want to keep it weird, right? That's exactly. A, <laughs> home home yeah. of the first Whole Foods, too, right? Is in Austin where the first Whole Foods came Yeah, I up? think it is. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is. yeah, you know, I lived in Austin for, for quite a number of years. I went to college there, so I really like Austin. It's a great city, but uh, it's gotten big. When I was there in the 80s, it was uh, late 80s. It was really a nice, nice town. You know, the college pretty much dominated the whole town now. Lots of industry, lots of tech industry, lots of, uh, you know, they got to build up the infrastructure to keep up with the population growth. But so let's, Angie, tell us a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Okay, well, um, for me, I basically graduated from high school at 18 and um, grew up in a very strict family. Dad was very, very strict, but now I understand why, because he always said, Things don't happen. Nothing good happens after 12 o'clock. So, you know, I get it, Dad. Um, but anyway, when I was when I graduated from high school, I wanted to be able to live a little bit. So I moved out, moved into an apartment, um, got a job as an assistant manager at a store, um, you know, got really, really into all of that and really proved myself and became like a manager and then... Um, before I knew it, you know, a couple of years had passed. I was running the highest volume store and then became a district manager and then became a buyer and just kind of went as far as I possibly could with retail. Um, wasn't really into college at that point because, you know, I was already making it in a different realm or whatever. And so about 28, I was like, you know, I'm like really missing something. I guess I was getting that like motherly instinct and wanting a child and so forth. 
So, you know, I went to my husband and, you know, we had gotten married at 23. And so I went to him and I was like, you know, I love our life and it's great. I said, but, you know, something's just missing. And so we started talking, you know, about having our first child. And um, after my first child was born, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to work. And um, it didn't last very long because I didn't want to leave her. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to stay at home, be a stay-at-home mom, take care of my kids, do the right thing, so forth. And so, you know, two children, and then the third children we had is Amberly, and that's the one that has the autism. Um, she was born, it seemed like everything was perfectly normal with, like, her birth and everything, um, normal growth as a baby. And somewhere around, like, six years old is when things started to change. She started to develop some strange behaviors, um, some major behavioral issues, um, things like that. You know, I took her to doctor after doctor. Um, all anybody wanted to do was diagnose. Our first diagnosis that we got with her was um, severe ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder. And it was only because, you know, basically she would defy authority. She didn't want to do what people told her to do. And I'm like, you know, that's things that we got our butt beat when we were a kid. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's now we have a label on this. And so it's just like, you know, I don't want to be one of these moms that just stick with a label. So, you know, after exhausting every avenue and going to doctors, um, I just knew, I was like, okay, I'm just going to figure it out myself. And so I started studying, I started researching, I started trying different things and everything that I tried, she got a little bit better. And I mean, it was to a point where we were having um, behavioral issues at school, you know, during this whole, like, you know, trying different things. Um, we had to have a behavioral intervention plan at school. Um, because she would basically, if she didn't get exactly what she wanted, I mean, she would fight other kids and I mean, it, it was just awful. She was very destructive. She would tear up things in the house. Um, we had situations where she flooded the basement, flooded her room. It was just always lots of chaos. And I just had to stay strong. I had to take care of myself and stay really, really strong and just find the answers. And like I said, every time we eliminated something, she she just got better. Um, you know, we eliminated the we put her on a gluten case and free diet that improved a little bit. But as you know, with a lot of autistic children and just ch children in general, they um, they like to, you know, the crunchy things, more of the junk food. You know, they want the sugar and all of that. And so it was just basically just eliminating one junk food to another. We went to rice and potatoes and, um, you know, like I said, she got a little bit better, but it just wasn't all the improvements that we see today. And so we started that way. And then we went a little more with like the SCD diet and we just kind of just kept trying different diets along the line. And so then I researched, uh, you know, keto many years ago and I was like, okay, this helps epileptic children. You know, they really need fat for the brain. I'm like, there's something to this. So we started dabbling around with that a little bit and started seeing some big changes there. And, um, 
I would just watch like one day she would be like great. And then another day we would see a lot of like autism symptoms. And I'm like, okay, there's just got to be other ways that we can get these areas of the brain firing. And so I started just really, really restricting carbs for her. And it was just like night and day. It was like, who turned on the lights? She just became a totally different child. And this child that couldn't read or write at school, they had given her a processor because of the frustration of trying to write, uh, looks at the teacher one day and says, I want a pencil. I don't want this anymore. And the teacher was like, oh my gosh, you know, what is, what is going on? And she's like, I don't, I don't want my processor. She said, I want a pencil. I want to write. And so she started writing and that day she came home and it was just like, um, she just started reading everything. She started opening up books and, you know, reading road signs. And every time we'd go somewhere, she'd be like, what does that say, mom? And I said, um, I don't know. What, you, what does it say, Amberly? And she would start to read and it was just all piecing together where she was getting it. And so now she reads very well. She can carry on really, really good conversations. Um, you know, she has friends at school. She's in 10th grade now. And, um, you know, she's, um, she does dance at school. And so we're at the second year of dance. And she just, I mean, she's just a totally different, happy, go-lucky child. I mean, that's wonderful to hear. I mean, it's great when you can see that. So let me ask you, because you said, you know, initially she was given a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder and severe ADHD. When did they, when did you get an official diagnosis of autism? We did not get an official diagnosis of autism because I didn't want it. And I was just like, they were like, okay, you need to take her to a developmental pediatrician to get her diagnosed or whatever. And so I let the school evaluate her when she was about six and a half. And, um, you know, they were like, okay, in order to get services through the school, this is what you need or whatever. So I let them come in with a psychologist and, you know, they do a whole slew of evaluations or whatever. And she qualified on the high end of the autism spectrum. But as you know, it's a you know, a broad spectrum and so many qualify on that. And so that way we were able to get the services through the school. But what we've seen just year after year after year has just been drastic changes and drastic improvements in her. And But, you know, it's kind of interesting because you said up until six, there was really no, nope. nothing going on. Is that right? Mm-mm. So what do you what do you think happened at age six that, that uh, potentially changed you know change it for you know to call, to have some problems? I think the diet. I would say more of the carbs because I would notice when she would eat really really good, um, we didn't really see anything. And like you know, I would tell family members and stuff that she was doing really really great. And then we would go away for like Thanksgiving or Christmas and you're spending time with families and, you know, it's all about eating and cookies and fudge and this and that. And she would just turn into a totally different person. So like family members would look at me like, yeah, sure, she's doing great. You know, you just need to accept that she has autism and it is what it is. But, you know, when it's your child, you've got to be the 
advocate for your child and I'm not going to accept it. You know what I mean? It's like we're going to do whatever we need to do to make our child better, whether they have autism or whatever, you know, they have special needs or, you know, any type of something going on. That's all really interesting stuff, Angela. And, I, you know, I used, to, uh, I used to be a teacher in Wisconsin. I taught special ed for about four years. And, you oh, well. Know, yeah, my, I, you know, we'd get caseloads essentially, and each caseload would have a certain number of students on it. And, uh, you know, it, there was usually one or more students with autism on my caseload. So you, you get a good look at kind of the, the spectrum, like you mentioned, like the, the diversity of types of individuals that are kind of under that umbrella of autism. And, you know, it's everything from, from just like uh, little, little ticks that would be more right. or less like, like non-typical behaviors to like the, the very far end where you have like, you know, almost violent outbursts type of things. And so much of it always seemed to be like transition in the environment as well. And if there's like an underlying nutritional thing, I would imagine a big transition in environment, like moving from home to school full time or something like that would be, it'd be like a really big move for a student with autism to kind of have to wrap their head around, relearn a new routine. And, um, I think it was really interesting when you mentioned about, you know, switching from the or switching to writing with a pencil cuz you know some people listening to this might think, well, you know, that seems like a pretty basic like move for a uh, for a young student to, you know, decide to use a pencil or something like that, but to put that in perspective, like when um I'm sure you're familiar with the individualized education uh programs and the IEP reports and meetings and all that stuff. Yeah, very familiar. Um, <laughs> we'd have we'd have students with autism that uh, you know, that goal alone to learn to use a pencil as a, opposed to a coder or like a typer, typewriter, something like that, you know, that might be a goal that we put a benchmark of for like half a year of schoolwork. So like um, to have a big switch like that overnight with a student with autism, especially if they're that far along the spectrum is, is a pretty impressive uh, um, accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing. And so, so many people would come up to me because, you know, a lot of times, and this is what I've realized now, a lot of times people don't really know what to say to people in those type of situations. And they don't really mean to necessarily say anything mean, but, you know, people would come up to me a lot and they're like, how do you do it? You know, how do you do it? I'm like, well, I'm the parent, you know, I have to do it is one, but it's like, you just have to focus on the positive of it. You know, if you don't focus on the positive aspects or whatever, you can't do it, you know? And so like what I did with her is I focused on the small little things and then the small little things became the big things. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got a, an autism boy, you know, kiddo at home, great kid. You know, I, I, I tremendously love spending time with him. Um, you know, and, and there's different challenges, obviously. You know, it's like, you know, when you have a newborn baby, you got to do more things. You know, when they get older, they get older. But, but uh, you know, it's kind of like the kids just need a little more support. Um, so you, you've got two other children, no problems with those guys. And, you know, they presumably they were all eating the same diet, Um you know, I would assume, or more or less, uh, and, and but you think that somehow the diet, in, in fact, impacted the you know your your youngest the most for some reason. Was there a difference yeah. in your in your pregnancy? Uh, you know, there you know, interestingly, and I don't know if many people are aware of this, but there's a pretty high correlation with 
uh, gestational diabetes and increasing the right. risk of autism. I think it's something like four to five hundred percent increase in that risk. And so, again, not to to get into what what or may not cause autism because I don't think we know yet. Uh, you know, there's certainly there's obviously there's been the vaccine sort of thing, and that's been very controversial. Uh, there's people that talk about you know as purely a genetic type thing. That there's people that say, well, we just you know, do we just have a broader net and we diagnose more kids because we, we, we've kind of expanded the, the, diag- the diagnosis definition. But, you know, to me, uh, you know, we I think it seems that there's pretty clear indication that its incidence is increasing. You know, we're seeing more and more children, particularly males. Uh, you know, you know, I have a boy. Uh, I think, you know, the latest, I can't remember. I mean, I know it's something around 1 in 80 or 1 in 88 or something like that. And males are now diagnosed with that. And so it, it's just... It's certainly at least worth speculating that that the significant decline in our overall health status uh, over the last 50 years or so, which many people will attribute to to increasingly a, a poor and poor diet, might be contributing to this. I, I think that's something that would be interesting to, to look at. I know there's a professor in Houston that's looking at that. I can't remember the fellow's name. I have to look it up again. But he is, he, you know, he's certainly thinking that maybe overexposure to, you know, insulin or glucose in, in utero or, or something along those lines in that same pathophysiology might might be contributing to this. Um, so let's so any issues with your pregnancy or any, any differences between the kids? No, you can think no issues with the pregnancy with her, but my first child, I did have some issues. Like there was a, um, like a placenta, a bruxia, you know, type thing, and I was bedridden for quite a few months, and you know, she was born, you know, she was little and, um, you know, things like that. So, um, and, you know, I mean, she, she's fine. I mean, she's in, she's 21. She's in college. Um, she's a little bit shy. She's not as outgoing, um, you know, but she's just more of a shy type, you know, child. She works and she goes to college and, you know, so forth. And then my son, I would say I probably ate the best with him because I craved meat like there was no tomorrow with him. Like I ate so much steak and so much, and I wasn't really into steak at that particular time. And that's like all I wanted. And um, he, and he loves meat too. So it's just like, really? So, and then I would say the youngest one, I probably just ate a variety. You know, there's really nothing that really stood one way or the other, you know, where you're third, you kind of just learn it, you know, and I gained the most weight with the first one. And then, you know, the second one was a little bit less. And then the, the third one was a little bit less, but there weren't really, there weren't any issues with her at all. Um, but I will tell you, she used to break out when she would eat fruit and different things. When she was younger, she would break out these horrible skin rashes. Yeah, I mean, another another association. Again, I, I uh, you know, I, associations aren't necessarily the greatest thing to look at, but that's sometimes what you have. And so we do see that some autistic children uh, do have, uh, you know, problems with with their guts. You know, and there, mm-hmm. there's kids that have celiac disorder and other things that tend to that my you know my boy doesn't seem to be the case, or at least nothing you know nothing obvious with him with that. But uh, you know, it's pretty interesting to think that you know. Uh, you know, gut physiology could affect, you know, uh, how we function mentally. And we see that with, 
depression, some of these other other diseases, and certainly some of the autoimmune conditions. So they're you know, again with with autism or you know some of these other childhood uh, uh, psychological problems, you know whether it's ADHD or oppositional defiant or disorder or some of the you know there's a whole myriad of ones that go into that. It's not sort of preposterous just to suppose that you know modifying the diet can affect that you know if autism is a neurodevelopmental problem and then there's actual brain uh anatomy changes which some suggest there might be uh is it is the brain plastic enough is there enough neuroplasticity for it to modify over time i think they're suggesting that our that our nervous system is a little more plastic than we thought it was and so you know, is there anything you can do at least to some degree that might help? I think that's not unreasonable. Um, tell me, so your daughter is was on kind of a regular old kiddo diet for, for six, seven years, and you started progressively subtracting things, changing things, went on different diets. What is she currently doing current, currently doing now? Currently what she's doing, and she's been doing this for about eight months, is full-blown carnivore. And it's kind of ironic as to how we stumbled upon carnivore because, okay, so last year um, I started researching because I was having some bloating issues and different things last summer. And I was like, okay, why am I having bloating? Why am I having all these problems when I'm eating the cleanest diet on the planet? I don't get it. And so my stomach, like I would eat, you know, vegetables and different things and like my stomach would just kind of bloat and then the next day I wouldn't eat them and it would go completely down. So like one day you're looking like you're six months pregnant and the next day your stomach's flat again. I mean, who wants that? And, um, you know, we're running around trying to get things done. We had just moved here, you know, trying to get the house ready or whatever. And it's like I would feel perfectly fine all day long. And then I would sit down to a big plate of vegetables with some protein or whatever and they just feel like total crap afterwards and i'm like you know i show my stomach i'm like look at my stomach you know i'm so bloated blah 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 and he's like oh it looks fine whatever whatever but you know it gets to the point where it's not only bloating that it hurts you know and um so i started just kind of tinkering around and playing around with it um about september and i just started seeing I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it for 30 days and just kind of see what happens. I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing because people are going to think I'm crazy and blah, 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 blah. Been there, done that. And um, so that 30 days with how good I was feeling just kind of grew into 60 days and then 90 days. And I was just like, wow, you know, there's something to this. So I started kind of tinkering around with it with her and the family a little bit. And, um, you know, did it for a full six months, got really, really good benefits. And then about January, I was like, eh, maybe I need to bring more vegetables back in. Maybe my diet's not healthy enough or whatever. And so I started eating more vegetables and it was kind of a slow type thing. But then the bloating started coming back. The stomach issues started coming back, just not really feeling as good. And so after a month of experimenting with that again, I was like, that's it, I'm done. And so I went back to full carnivore in February and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it with Amberly because everything that I've done has been great for her. Maybe this is just the next step. And so I started trying it for her and it was just like, wow. And she, and she always loved meat anyway. For so many years, she would 
pick the meat out of the food and we would get upset because she wouldn't eat the crust of the pizza. And, you know, she would pick the hamburger patty out of the bun and we would get upset because we felt like she wasn't eating a complete meal. And it's like she kind of knew all along. And um, so, you know, I just started giving her more meat and making sure she had plenty of fat and she just started getting better and better. And we just started seeing even more improvements. And we were just like, wow. You know, and I look back at where she was like years ago. I mean, this is not even the same child. I mean, this child was so disruptive and so destructive. I mean, we literally in Georgia had a handyman that we would call like to fix different things that would end up getting damaged in the house. And there was a running joke for years. It's like, I'm just going to hang out outside and just hang out in the front yard or whatever and just wait for Amberly accidents. That's how I make my money. That's what our handyman, you know, it was kind of a running joke. And it's like, you know, now we look around, it's like, you know, for years you're used to having these accidents and having these things happen. And now it's like nothing ever happens. And she does what she's supposed to do. And she loves school and she wants to go to school. And, you know, they ask her, you know, what is school for? You know, they do different things. Um, and she's like, school is for learning. And so she knows that it's for learning and she wants to learn. And she's, she's very intelligent. I mean, like, she's really, really good in math. And um, she's just a, a happy child now. She's energetic, you know, smiles all the time. You, you never see anything unless she just doesn't get what she wants. If she really, really wants something and she's told no, she doesn't really like that too much. Yeah, that's, that's pretty but, typical kid behavior. Yeah. But what, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, one, one thing people might say is, well, you know, that's, you know, it may be diet. Maybe it's, you know, there's other interventions. A lot of kids have therapy. You know, some of it's just maybe just normal growth, you know, normal development and learning to control those things. How do you how do you respond to sort of that sort of sentiment? Because certainly, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into our behavior. And it's very, um, you know, the one problem about when we talk to folks and parents and autism and other other things is very there's a lot of emotion tied into this. And it's very, right. easy to get, um, you know, not objective about this. So how do you I mean, how do you know that the diet made a difference? I mean, are you maybe maybe it's just because you got another year older or. Maybe it's no. something else. I mean, how, how, do, how do you, how do you know? Is there some clear cut ways you would say that that's definitely. Yeah, I mean, I just change? know from our own personal trial and error. And I've even, you know, taken my expertise and things that I've learned or whatever. And I've even helped other um, special needs children um, and saw the same results. You know, I've watched it. I've watched it with her. And I mean, that's really what I do now. Like I help people with diet and nutrition and I have a lot of clients that are on carnivore. I have a lot of clients that are on keto. I have some of them that still want to do a vegan diet, but I'm not putting somebody on your average vegan diet with thousands of carbs. You know, I know what that's going to do to the body. I don't care how healthy you are and how, how healthy your gut is. You can't just live on carbohydrates. And, um, you know, so I've seen it with other kids as well. So, I mean, I know it's the diet beyond a shadow of a doubt. And honestly, I really don't get questioned anymore because so many people have seen what I've done and um, they've seen it for themselves. 
That was you know, gonna, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jack. I was, just, I was gonna I was, go ahead, Jack. <laughs> I was just gonna say that was gonna be kind of my next question too, because you know when when I was working in the school system, I was very I'd be curious like what type of either pushback or support you got from them nutritionally. Was it uh, you know from my experience, albeit this was a few years ago and maybe a little bit in the earlier stages of like taking any type of nutritional approach with autism other than using food as a potential reward or something like that. Um, it, it wouldn't be something that I would necessarily see brought up like in a, in the school setting as let's try this unless you as the parent prompted it and said, this is what I'm seeing. This is what works. Um, I have another doctor saying this is, you know, you know, maybe even bringing them to the meeting is that's when you'd maybe start getting like the school system on board with something like that. Um, so what was kind of your experience with that? Was there a lot of pushback, acceptance, okay. support? Um, it's, I'll try to make it as short as I can, but um, <laughs> for years, it was a nightmare. IEPs were a nightmare. It was some of the hardest stuff that I ever did because the pushback, nobody wanted to listen that diet had anything to do with anything. And so... I just know as a person, and especially, you know, a mother, a father, or whatever, it's like, you, yes, you got to be an advocate, but you've got to be the advocate for your child. If you don't push for your child, nobody else is going to. And so I just really, really, you know, I didn't go in there as a, a dictator, you know, try to control the situation. I just tried to explain, you know, the things that I've seen. So I used every IEP meeting as an opportunity to share more and more and more. And it took years. I mean, it took situations to where, I mean, I can remember walking out of an IEP meeting, you know, being very, very upset and the whole nine yards um, to, uh, it got to a point for walking out to, of an IEP meeting and it being so positive that everybody was on the same page and everybody had seen what you've done. Because when you see a child every single day, and you see what the parents sending them to school and you see what the child's eating and you put it in the, you know, the school records, they have to feed the child what you say. I mean, if you put the child has allergies, you can put a child, your child has an allergy to sugar, you know. And so I would say probably the last um, four to five years have been very, very successful with the teachers and, you know, everybody being on the same page and then seeing, I can't tell you now how many times teachers tell me, wow, you know, you have no idea what, what you're doing. I wish more parents would do this. Um, you know, I've even had situations where I've gone to the schools and actually spoke in some of the health classes and stuff like that, because there's just not enough of it. And, you know, like people are like, well, why don't you franchise out and have different, um, you know, areas or whatever, because you can't help every single person. But what's so great now is there's so much movement with the carnivore and what you're doing, Sean. And it's like so much is getting out and there's so many people in so many areas talking about it because they've seen their own benefits. And so, you know, more people are, are going to listen because they have to, it's out there, which I think is great. Um, but now I've had all the teachers are very, very supportive. Um, as a matter of fact, I helped my daughter's teacher last year because she's like, I got to get healthy. And she got healthy and then got pregnant shortly after that. And um, so, you know, 
it's just a matter of you just can't give up and you just can't be quiet anymore. You can't just sit there and act like everything's okay for people to be boatloading on potato chips and, you know, cookies and cakes. Mm. It's, it's not okay. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, and, and what a lot of people will say, oh, there's kids, let kids be kids, you know, a little bit of sweets aren't going to hurt them here and there. And, you know, that's very frustrating for me because, I, you know, I, get, I have a child and I go to the school and they're having pizza parties all the time and they're, they're having their bake sales and they're trying to make money and raise money for the school. And, you know, they always do this stuff. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the teachers in there are not particularly healthy. They don't have... Mm-hmm. particularly good diets many of them are sh- you know i would call them sugar addicts you know they'll sometimes give kids little candies or cookies as rewards for good behavior in school yeah. I and mean, we see that sort of uh sort of thing perpetuated all the time and i think it's very uh, shameful that we do that you know the fact that you got to say you know my kid is allergic to every food in the world just so i can get the diet i want is, is, is kind of a sad commentary um does you know, well, how, let me ask you. Let me ask you: How does Amberly do with? I mean, does does she okay with not having that other stuff now? What is what are her thoughts? She, does she absolutely does not even care anymore. And that was a huge, huge thing because, like, I made a deal with my husband. I'm like, okay, we have to eat healthy as a family, and for the evening, and then everybody eats a you know protein breakfast. I'm like, when you go to work or whatever, you can eat, eat whatever you want, get it out of your system or whatever, but we have to be the role models and we have to set the examples because the children watch everything you do. And a lot of parents don't realize that. So if you're not eating a certain way, your child's going to be the exact same way. And um, so that's what we do. Like I said, he eats whatever he wants for lunch. And we eat a healthy meal. And so he still eats a little bit of vegetables. But the cool thing is, he really doesn't like a whole lot of vegetables. So he's fine with eating salad every night. So I'm like, cool. Okay, great. I, I don't mind cutting up some salad for you every night. But honestly, it's gotten to the point where I don't even like the smell of vegetables anymore. You know, it just doesn't even appeal to me anymore. But no, Amberly absolutely does not care. And so if we go out to dinner as a family or like, you know, we're doing some type of boating outing and we're eating lunch out somewhere, you know, if her dad eats a burger with a bun or French fries or whatever, as long as she has what she enjoys on her plate, she does not even care. And, you know, years ago, she might would have grabbed French fries off his plate or something like that, but now does not even care, does not even face her. And, you know, like I said, the teachers all understand about uh, the eating. But see, the teacher we have now, I don't have to say that she's allergic to everything. I just tell them that, you know, she benefits from this type of diet and they've seen the difference themselves. And, you know, so they understand it. So they all work with me on that. Yeah, I was going to ask you a bit about that because I know, um, you know, I think a lot of times when people look at a student or child with autism, they think like, you know, the the kind of attachment to routine that they sometimes will mm-hmm. gravitate towards. They see that as kind of a hurdle, but if you have a situation like 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 this, it can it can almost be a strength cuz once you get that that child with autism to kind of gravitate towards the routine that is in their best interest, they will stick to that. And, you know, like I think of a, a, a typical, like maybe seventh grade boy, if you if, if they weren't supposed to eat a certain thing, 
and then their friend brings cupcakes to school, they're probably going to eat it. You know, they, yeah. but you have a student with autism and they know like, this is my program. This is my routine. This is what I do. You offer that student a cupcake. They'll, they, they very well may say, no, I don't want that just because they know it's not part of the program, even without the adult supervision. Right. With Amberly, she never really um, got real rigid with routines. And I guess it's probably the way that we like brought her up. Like mm-hmm. we always did things like everything wasn't a routine. We kind of wanted to do things spontaneously. And like sometimes we would like be going on a vacation and we wouldn't even like say anything till the last minute just to kind of like rock the boat a little bit. So she wasn't so routine oriented. And she really doesn't even. She doesn't care, but like for years, you know, she wanted to participate in like a birthday party and I would let her. And there were times where, um, you know, I would make special things for her and we went that route for years and that worked really well. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, you know, I've gotten so good at this, how to like bring her back and how to correct things or whatever. I'll let her participate and then I'll correct it when I get home, you know? And, um, but now it's gotten to the point she just doesn't even really care. She's like, she don't even really care for sweets. Do you Which get, good. Angie, do you get any, uh, you know, cause there's a couple, uh, that you probably are aware of, uh, Joe and Charlene Anderson, who, you know, like you, you know, have been doing, well, they, they've done a carnivore diet for a long, you know, they're actually over 20 years now and they've had children and they've had them on it. And they actually had people threaten them with child protective services to take the child away, children away. Um, have you gotten anybody that sort of said you're doing something dangerous for your child or anything along that nature? I mean, there was a, there was a, I really, uh, I really don't get any of that anymore. And it's, I guess, Things have just kind of changed, but I mean, when we first started all the things that we've done and, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of different things. I mean, I've taken her to homeopath doctors. I mean, we've done a lot because there was no stone that I was going to leave unturned when we were dealing with all these things. And I, I got a lot of like rolling eyes and, you know, nobody really said you're, you're crazy and you're doing crazy things. But there were things said because I heard about them later and, you know, so forth. I was just like, you know what? I don't care. Whatever. I'm just going to do what I need to do. And as long as I'm seeing benefits, I don't really care what anybody thinks. And it kind of makes you stronger as a person. But it's like, you know, I had to do it for my child. And now I can actually reap the benefits of all the negativity and the rolled eyes and all those kind of things. And because my child flourishes, you know, if somebody would have told me years ago, she would be on the dance line in her high school and be able to do a performance that's four nights in a row and enjoy it and love it. And then you sit there and watch the typical girls, you know, cause I went every night with her and, you know, we did makeup and hair and the whole nine yards and the typical girls are like, Amberly, are you nervous? No, not at all. I mean, she wasn't nervous at all. She just got out there and did her thing, and she did an awesome job. And this is her second year. And, you know, even the teachers were just like, they were amazed at what she could do. But, you know, it's it's just a matter of what I knew with her. It was just like areas of the brain just were not firing. That's that's how that's kind of really what motivated me. I'm like, if we could just get those areas to fire and those areas to communicate together, she would be great. And 
and I think truly that's where the nutrition piece played the role. How did you transition her into that? Was it just one day, here you go, have a bunch of steaks, or was there a kind of a transition period, and how did that go? What, into the carnivore? Yes. Well, we were already kind of there anyway, because she had already been doing, like, keto forever, and we were doing even low-carb before keto, but I didn't do keto as far as restricting protein. Honestly, I think that that's where a lot of people doing keto are getting in trouble, and, you know, especially as you age or you have a growing child or whatever i mean you need that protein for muscle development and to prevent muscle wasting i mean that's what i see with a lot of my clients you know 40 plus and even like 50 plus or whatever women especially are just muscle wasting because of restrictive diets and you can't be afraid to eat and you know a lot of people are they're afraid to eat they don't want to put on weight blah 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 but for her she was already eating a lot of meat so I just increased it. I just dropped the salad because she didn't really like other vegetables really anyway, but she loves salad. So I just kind of dropped the salad and put her a big old huge steak, you know, with a little bit of butter on her, um, uh, you know, plate or whatever. And she was just a happy camper. And, you know, we go out to a restaurant and we get a burger with, uh, you know, bacon or whatever. And she loves it. Let me ask you, Angie, because you said she was keto for a couple for quite a while before. What differences did you see between her being on a ketogenic diet with, with, with regards to her behavioral issues or, or other issues versus going to an all-meat diet? Did you see a big difference? What, what were the thoughts on that? Um, she was still having a little bit of like, uh, you know, kind of like breakouts a little bit. Like she would, ever so often she would have like a little breakout on her face and things like that because she was still taking in, you know, some of the carbs. And from going full-blown carnivore, um, and she would have a little bit of distension in her belly at times, but she's, I mean, she's tiny. She's very petite and, um, you know, that belly would be distended. And so now we don't ever see that, um, a huge difference in her energy level. I mean, the child could go to bed at two o'clock in the morning if she wanted to and get up at six and feel totally fine. And we like look at each other and we're like, how does she do that? But I mean, she just, she has more energy. She's happy. Um, she can go longer. She's not having low blood sugar, um, episodes, you know, she eats, um, lunch at school at 12 something. She comes home at, you know, four 30 in the afternoon. She's not like ravishing. She's not ready to like rip your head off because she's hungry. You know, what, um, what do you send her to school with lunch? So do you send her to with a lunch with her or how does she get her lunch? Yeah, I send her lunch every day, and she eats the same thing every day, and she's perfectly happy with it. She eats a burger, and sometimes it has cheese, and we kind of go back and forth with the cheese thing, but she doesn't seem to have an issue there. And so sometimes it has cheese, and sometimes it has bacon, and, you know, just wrap it up for her or whatever and send her a little plate. And I think, like, today I sent her that and, like, a bowl egg. And um, it, she loves it. So she hasn't had a heart attack yet, I'm assuming, with all that cholesterol and saturated fat. That's great. Let me, did she have any uh, gastrointestinal issues? A lot of people are concerned about, you know, this this whole worry about uh, constipation, worried about, uh, you know, the biggest thing now is, you know, you, you, if you do not give your gut microbiome the fiber, all kinds of bad things are going to happen. Tell me, did she have any, any problems with the GI transition or how does she do now? Um, she did have some constipation problems before we transitioned, 
Um, but she doesn't have any problems with constipation problems now. And what? we've even noticed too, like, um, just even just like little things like grasping information and learning things and like even if she's told no to something it's so short-lived versus before it could be like three hours you know and it's like she's just easier going in her mind or whatever and just handles things so much better i i would imagine as a parent that's got to be such a sort of relief and you i'm sure there's a lot of joy that comes with that when you see a child who is struggling so bad and you feel like you're hopeless and helpless and then all of a sudden they get it. i remember like when my boy finally could tie his shoes i mean he was you know he was a, he was 12 years old and finally could tie his shoe you know which is like obviously yeah. twice as long and that was so you know more than anything you know i was like wow i remember when because he couldn't he didn't speak at all almost until he was four and now it's like Please stop speaking. You talk too much. <laughs> you know, because right. he, he's constant. You know, he's, he's you know, he's still got some certainly some significant issues with related to autism. But he's a smart little kid. Incredibly, he's got a sort of encyclopedic knowledge. He memorizes everything, you know, that there possibly is. But, uh, you know, that's pretty interesting. You know, I mean, we do have some studies out there on ketogenic diets in autistic children. And we do have some objective data showing that that does seem to be a benefit. I think there's at least one study and possibly some more studies that are out there on that stuff. So it's interesting uh, to see how this is working for Amberly and how it's working for the family. Um, do you know if, uh, you know, sh- sh- any other health issues that, that she's developed? I mean, have you seen any negatives from, from, from doing the diet? And the other question I wanted to ask you is um, a lot of people are out there, you know, saying that, you know, uh, the meat, if you're going to eat meat, it has to be organic or grass finished do you do you do that or what is your what is your what is your strategy with them well i've done it two ways i've done all grass fed and went that route and then i've done grain fed and went that route now i do try to keep the antibiotics out if all possible and so forth um but honestly between the grass fed and the grain fed i saw no difference i mean she benefited from both yeah i mean that that and and I know a lot of that that sort of sort of you know just anecdotal evidence if you want to call that I mean that's been my experience with with a lot of things you know it doesn't seem to matter I know there's people that are very passionate about one way or the other about the issue and we're going back and forth on this show we're trying to figure out and get to get to some more information here and figuring out what do we need what's what's way to do it what what are the environmental impact issues and so on and so forth so it's interesting to see more and more people saying, is she eating a lot of organ meats? Is that something she includes? In no, her I haven't even um, done any of that with her. I'm not sure she would eat it. I've just now started eating it myself. And it's funny because I absolutely despise beef liver as a child. Mm-hmm. And my middle brother, okay, every week we would get to pick something that we, it was our favorite food or whatever. And so mom would make that like one night a week. And that was always what he chose was the liver. Well, come to find out, he never even liked liver. So I just shared with him just recently in the last couple of days, and he told me, enjoy your liver. It's nasty. I would never eat that again. So he admitted <laughs> that he never liked it. So I think what he truly liked was making me and my little brother suffer <laughs> through the agony of this gross-looking liver on your plate. So I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting trying this. 
but it's like if your mind is clear, you're more open to trying things and, you know, things kind of change that way. I think she would probably eat it, but I'm not really going to rock the boat at this point. She's perfectly fine with hamburgers and steak and, you know, she eats a little bit of chicken here and there. She has decided that she's, um, uh, I mean, she's not really into the chicken as much as the beef, which is totally understandable because it's it's so much leaner. But, you know, from time to time, just to kind of change it up a little bit, I'll do like some chicken legs or thighs. Now, one thing she does love, she does love chicken wings. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. She loves that. So we do that from time to time, and that's like a treat. One of the things that, you know, I just I just sort of get frustrated with is the people that are out there that thinking that beef of, you know, any source, you know, particularly is anything but a wonderful, tremendously um, health-giving, nourishing food. You know, whether it's raised conventionally, uh, you know, or if it's finished on, on grass, I mean, it's such a, an incredibly powerful thing of nutrition. You've got people out here that are like, there's this one-tenth of a percent of a percent difference in in you know one or two nutrients it's, it makes such little difference in the in the in the long run and they're like oh you got to eat this it's the only thing you can possibly eat and when there's all this other stuff out there that's so good and you know the people that, that sort of uh want to want to say that's that's an awful food you know like eating uh eating eating fruit from a cow that has been fed some corn at the end of its life you know and we know that at most you know cows get you know, 10% of their entire diet coming from a grain product, uh, even in the ones that are, that are raised conventionally and finished off in a feedlot. And so, you know, to sit there and say that's now some kind of awful food and it's awful for us, to me, is, is really isn't supported by any facts that I'm aware of. It's just more of this emotion-filled uh, sort of propaganda, which I which I kind of call it that. But uh, um, let me ask you, I mean, you've been doing it for, uh, I guess, more than a year now. Uh, what changes have you noticed personally with, with the diet? With me, I just noticed that I wake up in the morning, I feel rested, um, you know, I never feel tired. And if I feel like anything lagging in energy, I'm like, okay, I just need to eat. And then it's just like, woo, you know, your energy's right back. You feel fabulous. I mean, you can do so much more. Um, I notice I don't have to kill myself in the gym as much as I was before you know, your body puts on muscle because of what you're eating. And, um, I don't know, just, just everything. I mean, your cognitive ability, like I'll even like quiz myself when I go to the grocery store, just to see if I can remember everything on the Alexa app for the grocery list. Hmm. And I've noticed that I'm like, you know, mastering that and, um, doing that every single time. I'm like, wow, you know, that brain's really going. And, um, just everything, no bloating, you know, never, no constipation problems, no bloating, no digestive, no hurting stomach. I mean, those are just wins, you know, it's like when you get to the point where your stomach's bloated and you feel like crap and your stomach stretches and you look six months pregnant, I mean, that's just miserable. And I don't ever have any of that. Have you found any if any if any differences in like skin, hair, nails, and a lot of people import? Yep, that's really big that. too. Um, my hair grows like no tomorrow. It's so much thicker. Uh, nails grow like crazy. Uh, skin, I see just like like fine lines just disappearing. And so, like one of my goals is, you know, I'll be fifty in um, 
the end of October. And I'm like, okay, I just want to put on as much muscle as I possibly can before that 50, because then you have all these people that say, oh, you fall apart when you're 50, blah, 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 blah. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard that in the last six months. And I'm like, you know what? You only fall apart if you think you're falling apart. I said, I'm not falling apart. Um, and, um, you know, just, just things like that. I mean, I see like more, uh, firmness in the skin. Like, you know, you don't have to think that everything doesn't have to sag. You don't have to like lose your butt and it goes down into your legs and all these kind of things as you get older, if you're putting the nutrition in. And one of the things for me was to really make the transition for me was I had to do my own research and I researched every bit of meat that you possibly could even think of and wanted to get the breakdown of every nutrient that was in it and how much or whatever. And that was just kind of the ceiling of the deal for me because I'm like, okay, I don't need to eat a daggum avocado or spinach or whatever for potassium. I can eat a big piece of meat and get just as much. And I feel phenomenal. And what was so amazing for me for years, I did this with myself and my clients, like after they would have a cheat meal after Christmas or an occasion, I put them on an all meat and fat day, not even really knowing what I was doing. And they would feel so much better. And I've always done that for myself. Like if I ate a bunch of carbs or whatever, I would do like a meat and fat day right after it. And I'd be like, wow, I feel great. So yeah, it just kind of really just all fell into place for me. I know Zach has been using that in, in his running recovery strategy a little bit, you know, where he'll come from a run where he's kind of beat up. And, he, and I know, I mean, I, like Zach, you could certainly speak to that. But I mean, I, you, I know you've, you've reported that it helps with your recovery quite a bit. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a bit of a uh, like a phased transition, I guess. Uh, when you look at it holistically, you know, I started kind of a high fat keto type diet seven years ago and I would always go strict keto right after a race and I know we've had uh, uh, Jeff Browning on the show follows a similar approach that I do and he's he'll say the same thing as me with uh, um, yeah, after a race like you run 100 miles like it's people look it's it's almost a joke within the sport where the next day it's like who who can have the best story about walking on the stairs backwards or like you know, trying to like get out of bed and taking like five minutes just to get up out of bed or something like that. And, you know, Jeff and I joke around about that because it's like now like the difference, like you can, I mean, you're sore and you're tired because you just ran a hundred miles. I mean, there's really no way around that, but, um, just the, the mobility aspect of it. Like you don't feel like your, your legs have gone like complete rigor morris and you can't bend at your knees. You know, Jeff always jokes around and says like, oh, I can do like air squats the day after a hundred mile race now. Whereas before it's like my knee wouldn't even bend in that direction uh, to even do that if he wanted it to. And, you know, that's one thing I noticed too is like when I do a big effort or a big race or something like that and then the goal becomes recovery versus trying to peak or to train. Uh, it seems to be a lot more about just getting out a lot of that swelling and inflammation as opposed to the actual muscle damage itself. The muscles are going to heal over time and... You know, that's just something that's, that's, uh, that's not really the, the true like pain that people are feeling when they can't bend their knee after a race or something like that. Um, that's not the muscle damage, that's the swelling and, and all that other stuff. Uh, and I think that's a, been, been huge. Uh, and and some to, some, and to some degree, I think too, and I mean, some of this stuff is suspicion at this point, but like just the, the break for your digestive system. You know, it's like it, I think a lot of people, one thing I see all the time with 
the folks, and I'm watching the carnivore crowd very closely because I think this is something that pops up a lot, is that they don't seem to like really ever worry about whether their stomach has food in it or not. So it's like they're not really worried about, um, you know, resources being allocated towards like, you know, whether it be mental energy or physical energy, dealing with like a bloated stomach or feeling like overly full and having to like lay down after a meal or rest after a meal in order to kind of let things digest before they can start doing anything active again. And, um, you know, for me, and I think with a lot of the folks, uh, that's the thing they'll say is like, you know, they'll eat a meal and they can just get right back to whatever they're doing because they don't feel like they're overly full they feel satisfied and those are two different things i don't people tend to connect those they think being full is being satisfied and you're not satisfied until you're full but until you kind of really play around with that and recognize like the difference it's it's mind-boggling and you know i've talked about this before in other episodes too where it's like you know i do big training weeks where i'm burning two three times my metabolic my resting metabolic rate so you know i got to eat to kind of accommodate for that but i'm not getting any bigger because i'm running all the miles um, so you, I'll, you'll sit there at the end of the day and you'll be eating and eating and your stomach will be full, but you'll still be hungry. <laughs> it's like, that's such right. a weird, such a weird feeling. And you know, that's essentially bloating, I guess. But, uh, um, you know, when you kind of find food sources that satiate you and, but don't necessarily get that distended, uh, distended belly, like you were talking about earlier, Angie, um, you get that, that, that comfortable feeling of, oh, I just re-nourished myself as opposed to just stuffed a whole bunch of stuff in my stomach and my body's still looking for nutrients even though my stomach is full um you know and i think that's some something that a lot of people just have don't have a a mental connection to because they've just never really experienced it and um i think you know a little bit of self-experimentation and open-mindedness can kind of help with that stuff yeah, I think the best thing is to experiment. And th this is what I tell my clients. I'm like, I can give you guidelines as to what to do or whatever, but I'm not your body. And you need mm -hmm. to let your body be your own doctor because it tells you if something works or not. You know, you should feel good 30 minutes to an hour after you eat. And, you know, like you just said, you should not be tired needing to take a nap. If you do, you need to check, you know, your last meal and figure out why. You know, if you're craving... Uh, sugar and carbohydrates in the evening or whatever you might want to check your breakfast because that plays mm -hmm. a big role and um, You know they start putting these things into action or whatever and they see the results themselves mm -hmm. And that's really the best thing because you know you could tell people all day long But until they experience it, they're not going to Understand it like for me. I mean I had to do my own research to understand it because you know I just want to be healthy and I want my clients to be healthy, but I wanted to make sure that you were getting all the nutrients in just eating meat because, you know, I mean, I've been taught too, we need vegetables, we need vegetables to get potassium and so forth, but no, we don't. And I'm like, wow, I never really liked vegetables that much anyway. And so people tell me now, they're like, but you love vegetables. I said, no, not really. I just learned to eat them or whatever because I thought I was doing a great thing for my body. And now I don't even have to eat them anymore. So I'm wonderful. <laughs> you have to be careful that it gets close to heresy when you start saying you don't have to eat vegetables. And, you know, we, 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 you know it's kind of like, you know, your mom made you eat those things. And, you know, she had to force you to eat them and told you they were good for you. And, you know, we've kind of yeah, bought no, into that. You know, Look at me, it, mom. <laughs> It's kind of it's funny. funny. My mom actually, um, you know, I actually help her with nutrition. And 
you know, she's learning even with her own body or whatever, you know, like you, you go out and you have, um, you know, a cheat meal or whatever. And if you're not careful, that cheat meal turns into another one and another one and another one because it's just kind of a chain reaction and you just got to break it. But if you don't have the cheat meal and you give yourself all the nutrients and you're not under eating, you don't even have a craving. I mean, I never have a craving for anything. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a common that's a common thing. Um, you know, it's kind of funny when my my father's on this carnivorous diet. He's done this. And I guess he's he's over a year into it now. And we had a conversation because when I was a kid, he used to make me eat all these vegetables. And then he told me like recently, yeah, I never really liked vegetables anyway. I was like, well, Dan, why <laughs> why were you forcing that stuff on me, man? We kind of laughed about that. But I, I I'll say one more comment. Uh, Angie, I'm, I'm, I applaud you on the on the sentiment that you know that you want to put on as much muscle as possible, particularly as you you know transition into uh, you know you know being 50 and stuff like that. And for one, I just saw you just kind of popped on the screen, and you. Looked, I, I didn't even know if I was on earlier or what, and I was, so I was trying to play around. I was like, okay, how can I play around and not yeah. mess anything up? So. <laughs> yeah, no, you just popped in. I'm, I'm just looking at you. You look much younger than than what you what your age is. So the, the diet, you know, whatever you're doing is working well for you because you certainly don't look like you're about to turn 50. So that's good news for you. But uh, yeah, I would encourage you and, and any women, you know, to to put on muscle. It's so important. Um, you know, you know, whether you want to say it's metabolically important or not, that, that that's actually debatable. But certainly from a functional standpoint for preserving bone health and, and eating a lot of meat and a lot of protein is going to protect those bones, too. So I think those things are right. really important uh, things that, that a lot of women, you know, by, by just living on those salads are, are really harming themselves by doing that. Right. I mean, I, you know, I just took on a new client yesterday and she's been doing keto for a while and she's like, you know, I really want to start carnivore or whatever. And, um, you know, she's just starting with me the beginning of October. And, you know, I mean, I, a lot of times, you know, people want to do it, but they just don't really know where to start. And it's like, okay, well, how much protein do I need to eat for my body? And they don't really understand, you know, you know, eat two pounds or whatever, because people are scared to eat the amounts. But, you know, if they're working with somebody and they've got a one-on-one coach, and that's what I do. I take on you know, um, up to five clients a month. And I don't do any more than that because, you know, obviously kids are number one priority and so forth. Um, but then two, by taking on five, I can do the individualized coaching with them and do the one-on-one and really be there because a lot of times that's what people really need. They need that one-on-one. They need that support. A lot of people don't have the support system at home. And I see a lot of that, and that makes it really, really hard if you've got somebody, you know, if you, in your corner, you're more successful. Perfect. And, I mean, perfect. I see huge changes when I put somebody on a carnivore, and sometimes I don't even tell them what I'm doing in the beginning. I just ask them how strict they want to go and how quick do they want to see results. And then I'll put them on, like, a carnivore week, and they'll drop, like, something crazy, like 13 pounds or whatever, and they're like, holy crap, you know, uh, I just lost all this weight or whatever, and I feel phenomenal, you know, and then I'll kind of tell them, you know, and they follow me on Instagram, and they kind of see what I'm doing and so forth. Um, but, you know, if they're getting results and they're feeling great, and then they're, they're not even craving. Their husband can sit there and eat chocolate in front of them, and they don't even care, you know, after that first week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that, you know, and I've, I've said this all along, you know, there's people that say, well, it's a fad diet. It comes and goes, you know, you guys are crazy. And I said, well, you know, ultimately the results are going to speak for themselves. And I think that's what's happening right now. I think there's so many people that are getting, 
good results not with you know not only with regard for many people with weight loss and, and I don't promote this as a weight loss diet but certainly does seem to impact a lot of people that way not everybody but just from the health benefits you know and, and, and we're seeing that pretty I mean a high percentage of people are seeing significant health benefits which I think are, are going to continue to occur as this as this continues to grow and it's going to continue to upset people I mean there's a lot of people that are truly upset that you're out there basically going 180 degrees you know, against what all of our nutritional dogma says and, and, you know, the things that you're being told which should happen are not happening. You know, we're not all getting sick. We're not all getting fat. We're not all having our blood right. pressure going up and becoming inflamed. In fact, the exact opposite's happening. And so that, you know, really questions the very foundational uh, assumptions made about nutrition. And when we go back to 1917, when, uh, you know, Ellen White, you know, as a as a Seventh-day Adventist vegetarian founded the American Dietetics Association, we've had this assumption or you can call it hope maybe that vegetables were our salvation and uh you know that 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 has never really truly been challenged uh you know particularly like it has these days with with social media and so let's talk about how people can get a hold of you i mean you know you're i guess you're doing some you're, you're doing some nutritional counseling health coaching so on and so forth how do people get a hold of you how do we find you and uh anything else you'd like us to know well they can get a hold of me on instagram it's angie underscore nutrition and then on Facebook, it's um, Angela um, McCauley. Perfect, perfect. Well, I, I you know, like I have a, a um, website too, but it's everything's not all up and running yet. So, but like I said, I try to keep everything you know very, very small so that I can do that individualized because I I feel that that's the most important. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's absolutely there's a lot of people that really will benefit. I, you know, I do some of my own consulting, and I, I really look forward to that. I, you know, I can spend a long period of time with people, and you know, you can really get into details because not everybody can. You can, you know, I mean, I can say go eat steak and water, and you're fine. And not not every people are going to do that. There's some people that need a little more, just you know, individualized care. I would say. Yeah. Um, the uh, what else? What else was I going to say here, Zach? I left that on something anyway. Um, Oh yeah, so you know we have a lot of we have a lot of shows now. We got a lot of professors and doctors, and you know we get into the science. But I think it's so important to continue to bring people on who are experiencing the results. Uh, you know these stories are very powerful, both yours and your daughter's, and hopefully that'll inspire other people to try it. You know maybe with their children also that are having uh, issues. It might help. Um, I think I've seen you know I've now seen several. Uh, autistic children, you know, parents telling me, and autistic adults that have told me that the diet has made a tremendous mm -hmm. improvement in their behavior, their mental clarity of thought, their, you know, lessening of the compulsive behaviors and the perseverations that, that often accompany autism. And so I do think there's something there to diet. I think it's important that we understand that. We not shy away from that. And we aggressively pursue that because the, the alternatives are not very good. You know, a lot of these right. things we just don't have very good solutions to with, with, uh, pills and, and, you know, narcotics and stimulants and, uh, you know, autoimmune drugs. I'm talking in general, uh, autoimmune suppressing drug, drugs and corticosteroids. I mean, they're just not that good. And so, right. uh, I, I, you know, it, it's it's fun to see this is evolving. It's fun to see more people being willing to, to say, hey, I'm going to try it. And I'm not scared. I'm not going to be bullied and scared because there is a lot of financial vested interest in keeping the status quo. I mean, it's a, it's they're billion dollar industries, and you know, there's going to be people that are going to do anything they can, subtle, uh, use use different strategies, marketing, media, uh, you know, to, to to prevent people from doing this stuff. And uh, I think, 
you know, I think it's going to continue. I think the cat's out of the bag, and I think it's going to continue to happen. I don't think you can shut it down, and so it's going to be fun watching this progress over the next couple of years. Thank you so much for coming on, Angie. Okay, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, Angie. It's it's great. Like Sean said, we have the doctors and professors come on, which are a blast, but the lifestyle interviews are a lot of fun, too, because I think the most interesting thing to me about the lifestyle interviews is a lot of times these people like yourself have been more or less thrust into trying different things that people would consider wacky or unconventional or or downright silly. Um, you know, and the, it's going to be the folks like you that kind of are more or less pushed into it um, out of circumstance that are going to kind of pave the way for the folks who could benefit but don't see that initial need to kind of jump in and kind of experiment with things and keep an open mind. So. Um, keep doing what you're doing, um, and best of luck to y you and your family. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have ButcherBox sponsoring the show, a ButcherBox subscription plan uh, that will send you meat. So it's a real kind of hassle-free, don't have to go to the grocery store type of approach that gets you high-quality meat right to your door. Uh, Sean's been using ButcherBox for a while. Sean, why don't you tell us about some of your experiences? Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, basically mostly just going with their custom boxes. I've been going with uh, ribeyes and uh, New York strip steaks. They're all uh, grass-finished, antibiotic-free, hormone-free. They're actually pretty decently marbled for a grass-finished product. I've been enjoying it. Lately, I've been throwing it on the, on the, uh, in the sous vide and then uh, reverse searing or then searing it up in a cast iron pan. That's been pretty darn tasty. I've enjoyed it. Uh, the consistency I found on pretty much every single steak has been very high, very good and very high. Uh, flavor's been good, and I really enjoyed it. I think uh, you know, looking around at some of the other competitors and some of the other grass finished products that you might get in the store, this is actually a fair bit more economical. And so I think it's a, it's a good value, good quality, and, and, and a very uh, you know enjoyable, flavorful uh, way to get your steaks. Awesome. Yeah. And folks, if you want to support the show, go over to ButcherBox, get yourself an order of some high quality meat and type in the promo code HPO and you'll get a discount as well as some free bacon. And you can eat that meat knowing that you help keep this podcast going. Thanks again. Back to the show. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at hpopodcast at gmail.com that's hpopodcast at gmail.com we're both also on social media on twitter you can find me at zbitter that's at z-b-i-t-t-e-r and you can find sean at sbakermd that's at s-b-a-k-e-r-m-d we're both also on instagram where you can find me at Zach Bitter, that's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at Sean Baker, 1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R, 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast.